What is your superpower? My name is Jessica Spall Rosen. Welcome to More Than a Fallback, a podcast. As an employer lawyer, I advise companies on workplace issues. I get to work with people who have built a business from a place of strength, harnessing their superpower. Their stories are fascinating. So what is more than a fallback? It's where you know what your superpower is and apply it in business. In this podcast, business leaders answer four main questions. We ask questions one and two. What is your superpower and how did you discover it? Question three, how have you used it to overcome challenges? And finally, we're going to time travel and you visit your younger self. What advice do you give? This is more than my podcast. This is for you. This is More Than a Fallback, a podcast. Sean Megan Scott is more than a law school dean. She's my mentor. I feel so grateful to have met her as a first-year law student when I was figuring out my way, trying to figure out how to take a law school test. And she sat with me week after week in office hours, going through problem after problem, and helping me figure out what it meant to take a law school test, which made all the difference. In those conversations, we talked about so much more than just law, and we got to know each other on a deep level. So as I was launching the podcast, we talked a lot about it, and she was one of the people that I spoke to as I was making my way and figuring out what the theme was going to be and how I was going to present it. And she talked about law students who had gone to law school and didn't know why they were there. And in speaking to her, I knew that this podcast had the potential to tremendously impact people. It was in a chance conversation that she decided to take a next step in her career. And I'm so glad she did, because if you would have asked me all those years ago what I saw her doing, it would be just this, running a tremendously complex organization and guiding the academic pursuits of its students, either that or being the CEO of a company. So I'll let her tell a little bit more about her story and share some of the goodness that she's imparted upon me. Here's Sean Megan Scott. Hey, Sean, how's it going today? It's a great day, Jess. I'm really delighted to be here talking to you. I'm very proud of you. I have to interject this. This is one of the best things about being um, a teacher is when you send people out in the world and they come back to you in all kinds of wonderful ways. Thank you for those kind words. It's been so great to get to know you throughout the years in this kind of new capacity after you were my law professor. It's been fantastic. Very gratifying. Feeling is mutual. Okay, well, let's dive in with our first question. What is your superpower? My superpower has been revealed to me as uh, by being having the ability to both um, envision change that will make an institution better and simultaneously to be able to implement that change. Okay, so how do you use it today? I use it on a daily basis, both on a micro level and on a macro level. So when I started this new deanship at this new school, my ability to envision the change that needed to happen at this institution was challenged from day one. So 
I can read an administrative landscape. It's a little bit like map reading, right? So I can look at a situation and see the need for an administrative structure and see where that structure may be lacking and then see where frames are missing, where ladders are missing, where we need to take down walls or put up walls or reroute processes. So it's, it's, a, it's an odd concept, right, to think about because it's all conceptual. It's that conceptual framework that ends up translating into strategic objectives and outcomes. And so by reading the landscape at this school, the topography of this school has led me to develop the strategic priorities and objectives that we need to follow to make sure that the delivery of legal education at this institution is better than what it is we're doing now. So on a daily basis, I take that kind of macro assessment and break that down into kind of micro um, objectives, right? Not day to day, but certainly week to week that allow me to check in and say, okay, I can zoom in on the micro level and zoom out on a macro level kind of at, at will. And that's uh, I think that's a real talent. So you're able to essentially be a visionary, see what's missing, see what needs to be done, and then put that plan into action. So not only it's, it's to translate that vision into a plan, delegate it out, and make sure that we can break it down into disparate parts and make sure that that happens. Tell me what your role is in the institution and when you started and what you were doing before that? So I'm currently uh, the president and dean of California Western School of Law, and I moved into that position in August of 2020. Um, and uh, California Western is an independent freestanding law school, which means we're not part of a university. So as president and dean, I am responsible for the academic programming of the law school, as well as the pure administrative and fiscal planning and programming for the law school. So it is a combination of having some commitment to the intellectual enterprise out of legal education, uh, but also understanding that it is, it is a business uh, and that for a long time, legal education forgot that we were actually part of the economy. Uh, and it turns out that we are. And so uh, we have to pay attention to business efficacy and efficiency in a way that traditionally law schools were not or had not. Prior to that, I was a faculty member at Loyola in Los Angeles. And even within my time at Loyola, I moved, I shifted from being a faculty member to being the vice dean of academic affairs. So, and in that role, did a lot of programmatic development and innovation and, and it was through that kind of programmatic innovation that I really understood that you can't innovate programmatically if you don't have the administrative um, underpinnings to support you. And rewinding a little bit more beyond that, many more years before that, you also practiced law, right? I did. Many, many years before that, I was a corporate lawyer. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, it's, it's um, when I think about being a, a corporate lawyer and I think about how it is in some ways 
it was not what I expected it to be. It too requires you to be able to listen to your client, hear what it is they want, right? Their vision of what they want for their business. Um, and then translate that into the structure that the law recognizes and is advantageous and effectuates that intent. So um, it is kind of that combination of vision um, and then you kind of turn around and you say to your client, so I get your vision, but the tax law says you might want to reconsider restructuring your vision uh, because here are the consequences, intended and unintended consequences, if we design it the way that you think you want it to. So um, it is certainly once you get, regain, again, the trust of your clients, you are kind of taking that vision and becoming an architect for it. Yeah, and I see that in my practice as well, that idea of getting to help them build something in, in my capacity when I'm advising to help them structure a plan or a program in a way that makes sense for their business while also staying within the bounds of the law. Indeed, yes. <laughs> and the times that I the times that I've really appreciated so much um, the relationship is having that closeness of being able to be present with them as they made really important business decisions, especially in the last year, and also getting to kind of take a step back and help them see their business from a new a new perspective. You know, thinking about I had a client that was having trouble recruiting, and I said, "Why don't you change the title? Maybe if you give it a more alluring title, you'll get." more employees, you know, so it, at my vantage point, when they're asking me those legal questions, getting to observe those business decisions and say, hey, maybe you could take a, you know, a different uh, tact here. It's it, that's really rewarding for me to get to have that business role as well. Yeah. And it makes you even more valuable to your client, right? Because any client um, should know be, that they don't have a 360 um, perspective, right? Um, and I think that we make ourselves more valuable by saying, look, here's what I see, right? Here's another lens through which to see this. And it, it's, it doesn't, it may or may not be valuable to you, but at least let me share it with you and let me broaden, you know, your perspective some, and maybe that has an impact, maybe it doesn't, but yeah, it's a wonderful way in which we can contribute. What is your proudest moment in using your superpower? So that's an interesting question. I think that one of the moments, I don't even know that it is a particular moment, but one of the ways in which I'm most gratified in using this ability to, to see and do is when I talk about the importance of diversity at all levels. And you know, one of the things that I see is the need to reframe the way in which most people conceptualize diversity. So I think that the moments when I am most proud is when I can say, you need to think about and envision the role of diversity differently, and you need to recast it, and here's how and why. Not when I'm convincing people of the value of diversity because, you know, out of altruism, but when I can identify the ways in which diversity is justice, right? Diversity is academic excellence, that you cannot have academic excellence without creating culturally competent lawyers, for instance. When I disabuse people of the notion of 
things, diversity being one of them, being um, anathema or um, the opposite of excellence, and instead understanding and conveying that you cannot have excellence without diversity. And um, so that's when I am proudest of my ability to see and then um, suggest ways in which we can be better at attaining diversity. It requires courage because in talking about a different vision of diversity, it makes people uncomfortable um, and um, it challenges preconceived notions that people might have and the ease with which people kind of want to dismiss me as an African-American woman talking about diversity, that I may talk about it from an economic perspective, that I talk about it from a a decision-making perspective, that I talk about it from an institutional perspective, that this is not about you welcoming me. This is about you as an institution making better decisions to effectuate your mission. So you're not doing me a favor by having me at the table. It's not for my benefit, it's for yours and for those that you're serving. So that's not a specific moment because, of course, the opportunity to talk about the need for diversity is one that is constant. So the, the, the thought that you have about flipping the conversation, it's, it's not an altruistic mission. It's really in the institution or whatever institution you're talking about, it's best interest. So we'll go to our second main question of the podcast. How did you discover your superpower? Um, I wish that I could say that I discovered my superpower because I'm wonderfully introspective and self-confident in my powers, but that's really not how it happened. I think it's, um, I I discovered my superpower because somebody pointed it out to me and um, in a way that uh, I did not, and reflected it back to me. So, um, I think it must be a little bit like um, the, there's this, just things that you just kind of take for granted in the way that you navigate the world. And it's not until somebody stops and, again, kind of holds up a mirror and says, this is what I see in you. And you look at that reflection and you're like, well, that's just true. And then you begin to think about now that it's been, now that it's surfaced and somebody has articulated it and identified it, then what do you do? So... Um, my ability to be um, an adept administrator and um, an administrator that is motivated by vision and uh, coupled with the skill to be um, any f- to, to effectuate the change that I could see uh, came from a faculty colleague uh, who uh, said to me when there's a was an opening in the administration at my law school for one of the associate dean or vice dean positions. He just uh, said to me ever so casually at lunch one day, so, you know, the dean is looking for somebody to fill the position underneath him. And uh, I've told him that, that it should be you. Uh, and so when you go back to your office, you're going to have a phone call from the dean and it's because I've recommended you for this position, and you should take it. And um, it caught me very much off guard. I had not envisioned myself moving from teaching, uh, from the classroom, uh, into an administrative role. And um, I did not know that he saw 
that. I did not know that he saw something in me that I had not seen in myself. And um, he was right. I, I went back to my office, and in fact, I had a message from the dean to come uh, see him about this position. And um, it had never occurred to me. I did not see myself as an administrative leader. And some of that has to do with the fact that uh, there weren't any women doing that job. And uh, there were certainly not women of color doing that job. And I did not envision myself doing that job. I did not see myself as having the talents and abilities to do that job because just as we have often said, my perception of what a leader was, um, was very gendered and, uh, and it was raced and it, and I didn't fit into any of those categories. What I thought leadership looked like, um, was very male and, um, the characteristics that we as a society praise, uh, from our leaders, um, were not the things that I thought that I exhibited. And I didn't really think about being a leader in that capacity. There are other ways that I absolutely knew that I could lead um, and uh, displayed excellence, but I just had not thought about myself in that kind of a role. So it, it, was, it was through somebody else kind of holding up a mirror that I kind of discovered that superpower. That's absolutely a theme that I've seen in a lot of my interviews. I've tried to have a diversity of views and people with different backgrounds. And as I wrap towards the end of the season, I'm going to go through them and think about what patterns I've seen and draw some conclusions. A lot of the women have said that comment. Well, and I find it particularly um, surprising for me. I went to a women's college. Uh, and so, you know, there was a moment in time when I was surrounded just by powerful, ambitious women. And so it wasn't for a, necessarily a lack of generally seeing women in leadership positions, but I did not see them uh, in academia, and I certainly didn't see them in a law school context. So if I couldn't see it, given that background, just imagine what it is for women who did not have the benefit of having been in a situation where everything um, is geared towards your growth and development, which is what happens at a women's college. Okay, so we'll go to our next question. What challenges have you overcome because of your superpower? I think that people still are uncomfortable with ambitious women. And because of who I am, I have to overcome other people's perceptions of my uh, incompetency and their surprise at my competency. So I have to overcome other people's disbelief. I have to overcome um, my responses to their constant surprise that I have the ability uh, both to envision and to implement. I have to learn not to react negatively when somebody says, well, that was a good idea. Whose idea was that? Uh, and I think, so this is what you hired me to do. <laughs> And so I'm not surprised. Perhaps you ought not be surprised. And so the challenge has been managing and other people's disbelief in my abilities and not having a knee-jerk reaction to that. You know, being able to say, well, yes, it was my idea. The other challenge really in some ways has been personal because I am a parent and as a parent, my children are what I think of as are mini adults at this point, but not quite adults because they're still on the dole. 
But being in a situation to be able to exercise my superpower and not sacrifice my what I think of as one of my important roles, which is my role as a parent, and figuring out, like, which is true for many of us, how to balance my own um, ambitions for my own development with the other demands that I have in my life. And recognizing that you can have a full, rich, complicated life, but you can't have it all simultaneously. At least I have not figured out a way to have it all simultaneously. That at the end of my life, I will have had different phases that are fulfilling, um, but they will be experiences that are cumulative, not simultaneous. Very well said. (laughs) Work-life balance (laughs) in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay, we're going to go to the last question of the podcast. Now we're going to time travel and you visit your younger self. What advice do you give? The advice that I give my younger self is the advice that I give myself today, which is um, to ask for what it is you want. And don't be afraid to pursue it. So I, it's, that's, it's the same advice is to, um, to silence the doubt and uh, and move forward and ask for what you want and ask for what you need. Because nobody gives you anything unless you do. Well, Sean, this has been a really such a joy to talk to you and get to sit and discuss these these topics after all these years. So thanks so much for taking the time. Jessica Rosen, I am so proud of you and I'm delighted to have been asked to participate. Thank you. So thank you. The feeling is mutual. I'm also really proud of you and all the amazing things that you've done and continue to do. Thanks for listening to More Than a Fallback. Let's stay in touch. You can find me at morethanafallback.com. Please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you listen. Now, go use your superpower.